from those uh, that are tuning in from our center location across the street, and also those that will be streaming live with us today. And, gosh, we'll welcome those that are going to be podcast later on out there sometime in the eons of the ages to come. If you'll grab your Bibles and turn to 1 John and just hang out there around chapter 1 for a few moments. 1 John chapter number 1. You know, I guess there's a principle in life that kind of goes along like this. You and I acquire certain things. We get into certain things, whether it be relationships or whatever it may be. And the truth is, we really don't know what we totally have, how involved we really are. Well, I guess in just a summary statement, aren't you in agreement with me today that, man, we get into all kinds of things in life only to be totally surprised? Can I hear an amen to that? I see some of you are very cautious to be amending that statement. Again, I just want to reaffirm to you, you and I have all kinds of moments in our lives that are full of surprises. One of my favorite characters, and can I put quotations around character, in our church is a guy sitting back there in the back today by the name of James Longshanks Hampton. All right, James Hampton. Now, he is a character with quotes around it, okay? And there are two stories that I will always remember that are real-life things that just shook my whole world around me. One of them was a mentally challenged guy out of McLeod, Texas, named Talmadge Blanchard, which he's my favorite character of all time. Sorry, James, you're second. But Talmadge, you know, was the guy when I was first pastoring, very first pastor, he'd get up at 12 o'clock and say, 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock, cowboys are on time to stop. I mean, right in the middle when I was preaching. Missy Lois Cox would reach up there and say, Talmadge, sit down, sit down, Talmadge. I'll make you some cookies if you'll be quiet. Boy, he'd sit down. Next Sunday, 12 o'clock, boy, I'd be rolling along there, brand new, green, young preacher, excited. I'd be preaching. I'd preach till 1230 sometime. Talmadge jump up two or three times. 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock, time. it's 12 o'clock. There was a guy running for political office that came up to speak to us out of the Republican Party by the name of Ed Merritt. Talmadge, when he found out that Ed was running on the Republican ticket, jumped up and said, Cass County don't like no Republicans. We're Democrat up here, Democrat up here. I mean, Tal- Talmadge would say anything. But anyway, there were some stories I have about Talmadge. But James Hampton, true story, was just in shock a few months ago. That little Ford Focus that he had been driving around for, now you talk about eons of time, had some engine problems, so he took it into the old Ford dealership here in Longview, went in said, hey, this thing's making a rattling. Can you fix it? I'm sure the repairman looked at it and thought, man, how old is that old thing? In a way, James says, you know, as things began to progress, they were telling me what it was going to cost, and all of a sudden he said a salesman came out. He said, Mr. Hampton, have I got a deal for you? He said an older gentleman, and, and as James tells it, we, he kind of kind of suspected maybe the guy was deceased, but he didn't come out and say that. But this really older gentleman, this, this family here locally, bought this big Lincoln with all the bells and whistles for him, an aged man. And he said that man evidently for, I don't know, 14, 15 months now, only drove the car less than 2,000 miles. And the car set up. Evidently, I don't know if it's in the garage or out there in the old barn or what, but in a way, the car's back here with only just a couple thousand miles on it. And we need to get rid of that car. Now, it's loaded. It's a Lincoln now, a Lincoln with so many bells and whistles. What would you think about that? James says he went out there and kind of started looking around the car. They came out and said, here's what it's going to cost to fix the old Ford Focus. And James says, well, don't fix that old thing. I'll just buy this one. So in a way, next thing you know, James is going to be driving home in a brand new Lincoln, loaded. James says he was so excited. He said the man came out and he said, now, I don't know what all these buttons are. 
I hadn't owned a, a newer car like this in years. I've been driving these old cars, and now it's got a TV camera here, and it's talking to me, and I can't. He said, you're going to have to do some training here. So the guy went over everything with him, and so James says, man, he kind of pulled out of there, and he's going to make his first maiden voyage home with that new Lincoln. True story. He said he went up there to the light there near the Ford place, got on Highway 80, he's fixing to head to Gladewater where he lives, and he says, all of a sudden, something started making a racket. And he said it sounded like in the back seat. He said the next thing he knew, he said he, he, when he first heard it, he thought it was a critter. He said something has gotten up in this car and bedded up. They must have had this old car shut up or whatever. He said, next thing you know, he could tell it was in the car seat with him. He said it was inside the seat moving around. He could feel it. He said, man, he whipped that thing over on Highway 80 on the shoulder and jumped out of that big Lincoln, slung the door out. He said, lucky somebody didn't come by and side swap it and take the door off. And he said he began looking at that seat. There wasn't a sound. Nothing moved. He said he got down there and looked underneath the seat, opened the back door, looked in the back. He said, I thought about opening the trunk, but I thought, no, I felt something in my seat. So he got back in that big Lincoln and started roaring like out off of Highway 80, headed to the house. He said just a few minutes later, same racket, and that seat really engaged this time. He said, there's something in there, and he pulls back over and looks, and all of a sudden he discovers it's the lumbar support in the seat that's rubbing his back. And James says, after we get through it more at midweek, Pastor, I want you to come out and see my automatic lumbar support that comes on intermittently from time to time. <laughs> now, folks, that's one of the classic stories. I can see Mr. James. I mean, he's just being truthful, laying it all out there on the line. But, you know, surprises are one thing, but there's one thing we don't want to surprise in one place. And that's where it comes and when it comes to our salvation. And I was reminded of that this week. Standing out there in the cemetery under a big pavilion, beautiful casket laid up there, just before I was asked to share a few words. Looked out and people were socially distanced in chairs all out across there under this pavilion. And after that service, walking down there again and seeing that dirt piled up there, pallbearers taking those remains, I just thought out in that rural cemetery, walking back to my old car. You know, wouldn't it be something to get to the very end of all of this, end of church services, end of preaching moments, end of great, moments throughout the year of music, get to the very end and attend our last small group Sunday school class, get through our last Mort midweek, all those Bible studies, and get up right up to the end and get the biggest surprise of our life. We are not saved. And you know, no one would know about it. I mean, the ministers, they're, I mean, hey, you're safe with me. I'm going to say nice things about you. Now, maybe not James Hampton, but I'm going to say something nice about the rest of you. And I just want to talk to you about something just heart to heart today for a few minutes that's just been weighing on me heavily. I guess I just want to bring you a biblical guarantee today. Just want to lay it all out there on the line today. Because today I want to talk to you about something that all of us have wondered about from time to time. Now don't, don't pop up there in that pious Sunday morning look to me. I'll just go ahead and confess to you, there's some times that I don't feel like I'm saved. Now, I never doubted my salvation. Never in my life have I doubted it, but there are days that I don't feel like I'm saved. 
And the wonderful thing about that is our salvation is not based in feeling. Our salvation is based, first of all, in historical fact. The Lord Jesus came. God sent him. People saw him. History bears that out. He came and died for a clear-cut purpose to save us, to offer us salvation. That is a historical fact. It's a biblical fact. It's a fact of history. That we have total assurance of. But today, I just uh, want you to be aware and be reminded that our God is the author of salvation. And with that in mind, I, I, I know East Texas folks. I am one. I grew up here. So, so I know how East Texans think. And I know some of you are looking at me and say, hey, 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 Pastor, salvation is a very private matter. And you're exactly right. God has no grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. The only way to not be surprised in the end is to know that your relationship with him, it can only happen one way directly. There is no family salvation. There is no denominational salvation. There is no generational salvation. There is but one type of salvation, one alone, and that is a personal salvation with each person that's willing to receive it. And so today, I don't care really how you feel. Well, I care, but it doesn't matter how lonely you've come to this place today, how sad you are. It does not really matter how you feel or the circumstances you're in. It, it, it really doesn't even matter where you are in terms of the suffering meter, how you're struggling or whether you're up or down. Today, I want you to know before we leave this place that this issue of salvation can be settled once and for all. And we're turning today, we know there are four Johns in the Bible. There's a big John and there's three little Johns. And today I'm going to spend some time and I just want to lay out five acid tests, five standards that you and I know and can know that we are saved or not. I'm just laying it out there for you. Don't be surprised. I'm so thankful, I believe, as I sat there on that chair by Miss Madeline Scott's, I mean, I mean, her remains, I just knew with all certainty in my heart, man, what a great saint of the Lord, amen? But I just thought walking out of there, wouldn't it be something for someone to get to the very end and get the surprise of their life? Is that possible? Is it possible for someone to be in their church in church all their life? Be a part of a class, be on the benevolence committee, <laughs> to serve on all kinds of different tasks and have responsibilities in the church, maybe to sing in the choir, go to revival after revival. I mean, parents been in the church. I mean, think about that. Kid, your kids grew up in the church. I mean, I mean, think about that for a moment. You were baptized in the church. And is it possible to get to the very end and think, wow, just didn't see that coming? So quickly, we're going to write five things down, and we're going to spend some really quality time today in God's Word. I want to share with you what God's Word says, not what the Baptist, not, not what the Vatican out of Nashville says, not what the Methodist hierarchy says, not what the Pentecostals proclaim, not what the Bible church speaks of, but what the Bible says about true salvation. John makes this a real priority in first little John. He makes this a cornerstone throughout this entire little letter, this first little letter of first John it's an anchor point for him because it was significant. It was important. I wonder if Judas had some impact in that. As everything unfolded, Jesus ascends. John begins his earthly ministry without the Lord Jesus. I wonder if he kind of stepped back and watched that whole fiasco with Peter happen. 
where Peter denied Christ. And for a period of time, maybe the other disciples were just ready to rip his head off. How could you stand out there warming your hands and say, no, I don't know Jesus. I don't have anything to do with Jesus. Big old ball-headed, bow-legged, brawny, filthy-talking man. He's real tough, all right, when it came right down to it. He was like a little old mouse in terms of courage. Or of all things, the chief financial officer, Judas, the one that had been hanging out for us for, with, with, with us for over three years, I mean, lo and behold, he was the betrayer. And what does he do? He commits suicide. I wonder if John wanted part of his lasting legacy to be for the Lord Jesus Christ to write in depth about, hey, people that he had thought, well, up, 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 are they in or are they out? Surprise or not? It, I mean, he had seen that. He had witnessed it. So in each one of these chapters, John writes a very clear doctrinal statement about salvation. I want us to look at that today. Five things. I want you to jot them down, and then this will be a checklist for the eternity. This will be a checklist that you can take with you. This will be a checklist, I hope, more than anything else, that the Holy Spirit is going to deal with you right on the spot and evaluate your life. I'm not here. Again, I'm preaching, looking at the corners in the middle of that camera. That's all. I'm not checking out David Miller's salvation. I mean, he's tough. We know he's not saved. I'm praying he'll come to know the Lord today. But I'm going to sleep better tonight with you having these five elements. Number one, if you're really saved, you will be sensitive to sin. Now, there's no question about this. You will be sensitive to sin. Would you grab your Bibles and just scroll down with me in that first chapter to verse number eight? First John, chapter number one, and let's start here. If you and I are saved, there will be a sensitivity to sin every time. Look at what John says in verse number 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves for the truth is not in us. Now look at that phrase, if we say. You know what that is in the Greek language? It's what we call a conditional clause. We prepare ourselves as the reader because we know it's dependent on something. Something's coming right in behind it that this phrase is dependent upon. We know that we, I mean, if we claim that statement, if we say, if we claim, okay, dependent on what? If we claim to be without what? Without sin. And then it goes on to tell us if that's the case, and here's the consequence we deceive ourselves, number one, and number two, the truth is not in us. If you're here today and sin doesn't bother you, if you're here today and you are doing certain, certain things outside the commandments of God and you don't feel something in terms of a sensitivity to that, something is definitely wrong. It's been several months, and I hope I never hear it again that someone called and said, Pastor, we've got a little situation of adultery going on, the couple people in the church. And that's always a heartbreak. It's a heartbreak because initially, in any adulterous situation, you, at least from a minister standpoint or a counseling standpoint, you, you find out that, in, and initially you hear one side of the story. Sometimes you, and rarely do you get to hear both sides. Usually one part or the other takes off. But in this particular situation, I was able to actually hear both sides. And you know, those moments are, are grueling moments because these adulterous situations sometimes have been going on for weeks and months and years. Rarely are they just one-time moments. All that happens, but typically, these relationships, things start to go south in a marriage relationship. One partner or the other begins to venture out. And at first, it just starts with some flirtatious stuff. Then some a little, little touching. Then it goes further and further. And next thing you know, man, it, I mean, it's just out of control. And many times, it goes on for years and months undiscovered. 
And sitting and talking to individuals through 30 years of ministry, watching that unfold, it's amazing to me how many times people, at least one partner, the one that, that typically ventures out, uh, ha- has lived that way, and it's almost as if they have no recognition. There's almost always some justification. Oh, they're hurt that they've hurt their partner. That, that's what they're most disappointed about. I hurt her. I hurt him. But, but, but when it comes to the wrong of what they're engaged in, many times they're totally blinded to that. And John gives us a clear indication here of something very important. If you're in that situation you've lost the most important thing. You've lost perspective. Did you see it in verse 8? Of the truth. The truth is not in you right now. If you're desensitized to sin, you remember what John, uh, over in John chapter 14, Jesus made this statement, you remember it? Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the what? I'm the life. No man, no man comes to the Father except what? Through me, by me. Jesus said, I am the truth. Now, will you listen very, very carefully? This, this is so very important. If you are a believer in Christ, and we'll talk about this more in just a moment with the Holy Spirit, you and I have the Spirit living in us. Now, in church language, we call that indwelling. But in simple East Texas vernacular, he lives in us, man. That's, that's what it is. And understand that you and I, even though in ourselves, do not have the human ability to repel sin. It's the very spirit in us that brings about something remarkable. When we, we accept Christ, when we're born again, if you will, that spirit indwells us and he sets up an inversion to the very appearance of sin. In other words, he helps us recognize it and begin to start repelling it. You do know, don't you? Even in a safe condition, you're not immune to sin. That's what John's driving home here. If you say, hey, I'm saved and I no longer sin, ha, you're not immune to sin. But what's happened is the Holy Spirit has allowed you to become sensitized by sin, not because of your great virtue, we know that won't get us anywhere, but by the very virtue of the Spirit himself over in faith training. One of the, uh, what, 12, 13 years ago, came in behind EE and another net evangelism, faith training, the way we share the gospel. One of the verses that we are called when you're trained to share in faith evangelism is 1 John 1, 9. And so often this is used, and I want you to look at it right in behind verse 8 that we read just a moment ago, because so oftentimes preachers and teachers will use this in an evangelistic setting, and it does apply there. But that's not its primary purpose. John's writing in 1 Little John about what? He's writing to believers. He's writing to first century believers. And he says, hey, don't you be, don't you be deceived about sin. If you want to know if you're really saved, you'll have a sensitivity. You'll be on guard. You'll know how vulnerable you are because you can recognize, sense, you can sense the very sin and the danger, not because of your virtue, but the very virtue that the Spirit has brought upon you. And then right behind verse 8, he says this in verse 9, if we confess our sins, did you catch that? When those things do happen in our life, if we'll confess it, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all of this unrighteousness. What does it mean to be sensitized to sin, to be able to recognize it? Does it trouble you when you find yourself in sin? I mean, really. Does it really bother you? And what I want you to hear, man, woman, or student, if you don't feel that, there's a real good chance something's missing, probably to the point you're not saved. If you were really a believer, you would be able to recognize that and feel that. And maybe a pastor's never had a heart-to-heart with you and just laid it all on the line for you. 
But it's this important that you and I come to this understanding of what the Bible says a real believer looks like, feels like, acts like, and it's that we know internally. And I remind you, I know it's a private matter, but Christianity and your service in the kingdom is not. There are no long, lone rangers in the kingdom. That's why Jesus says, let your light shine. So important. Number two, not only are we sensitized and sensitive to sin, if you're really saved, you'll be submissive to God's commandments. If you're really saved here today, you will be submissive to God's commandments. Now look over in 1 John chapter 2. Turn a page or so over, 1 John chapter 2, and scroll down to verse number 3. Boy, these are incredible verses. John's going to take a second step in the second chapter when it comes to really understanding if we're saved or not. Listen to what he says in 1 John 2, 2 verse 3. We know that we have come to know him. Isn't that something? A lot of knowing here, isn't there? Do you you just sense before we even get any further into verse what John's wanting here? Assurance. We want you to know, man. To know, to know, to know. No surprises. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Now look in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, boy, this is kind of a soft approach, isn't it? Wow. Wow. He's a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Would you look in verse 5? But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. By the way, that word liar, I don't know about you, but my mom is really mostly mom. Dad didn't get too much in this arena when I grew up. But mom would say, now, you shouldn't call him a liar. And your parents teach you that? Don't be calling him a liar now. That, that's, I, that might be a little, uh, they may be a liar, but we're not going to call him a liar. By the way, that, that word liar there in the Greek language is interesting because by very definition, it's opposite of truth. And what does that mean? Because you and I, when we don't keep God's command, come on, come on, come on, come on. There's not one of us in here that can keep the command and the law perfectly. Can I hear a baby amen to that? The pastor, the deacons, the teachers, leaders, trustees, longtime members, we're all in the same boat there. None of us are spot on perfect when it comes to keeping God's commands. So what does this mean? Because we cannot humanly do everything that God tells us to do. But you know what? We've done something in our lives, haven't we? If you're really a born-again believer, if you're a follower, if you're a Christ follower, you have taken voluntarily yourself off the throne of your life and it's been replaced by your Lord by your Savior, you're now allowing Him to direct your life. You're allowing Him to provide infill of power and direction and sustenance every day. You and I can't do it alone. In fact, we have made a horrible mess of it when we have tried to fight and crawl crawl back up on that throne. So John just reminds us, you've got to submissively obey God's commands. And I just wonder today, if you're really a believer, how do you answer these questions? Are you really striving to do what God has asked you to do from biblical commandment perspective? And I think even more importantly as a gauge for us today on this second second very important step... Does that really matter to you? Is that really vital in your life? That you know what? My finances need to be in line with what God says. My life needs to be in line with what God says. My marriage, my parenting, my relationships, everything about me needs to follow God's direction and command. If I'm going to be who he's called me to be, 
And he is issuing these edicts off to the throne that I've voluntarily given to him. I'm following his guidance now. And that's important to me. What do you want? One of the things that I've made a commitment to do is I'm going to spend more time with my dad. I don't care if it hair lips half the church. I'm going to spend more time with him. And growing up in his old pickup, the time that he spent with me and my little brother before he was killed, wherever we would go, it was all about what I wanted to do or what Mark wanted to do. We want a chicken stick down. We want to go to the store. We want a candy bar. We want this or we want that. But, you know, I'm just in a place in my life now, when I spend time with him, you know what my question is going to be for him each and every time? Dad, what do you want to do over these next two hours? Dad, what would you like to do? You want to go riding? You want to go shoot guns? You want to get our knives out, get them sharpened, look at them and talk about them? Dad, what is it that you want to do today? And, you know, that's important to me because I'm reminded, you know what, I'm not on that throne. There's someone greater on that throne. And that comes out of a submissive spirit. If you want to know today with certainty, and man, John was the advocate for making sure you and I know, we've got to be sensitive to sin. And we've got to be submissive to God's command. Now turn over into the third chapter quickly. You aren't listening fast enough. I want to show you this third benchmark of true salvation. 1 John chapter 3. Would you scroll down to verse 14? Jot it down. You'll also be saturated in God's love. You, if you're really a believer, you will have evidence in your life that you're saturated in God's love. Write that down. Look in verse number 14. Here we go again. For we know that we have passed away from death to life because... You notice how all these are somewhat following in the same kind of line, kind of a conditional concept. Here's the situation, and if it doesn't meet that standard, then here is the consequence, or here's the result. And again, in 1 John 3.14, John's driving home the same kind of concept, but now he's doing it around God's love. Our sensitivity to sin... Our ability to be submissive to the very command and commands of God's word. And then a third thing is the very love element in our life. He went on to say, we know that we pass from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love, here's the consequence, remains, some of you King James readers today have this word, abides in death. The forgiveness of our sins is so important in true salvation. And we know that once we're forgiven of our sins, there's going to be a day knowing we have a relationship with Jesus that we're going to be transported to the very feast table of the king. But did you notice that John lays out a very clear distinction here? Look at that word death at the end of verse number 14. By the way, that word in the Greek is the same word that's over there in Revelation chapter 20 when it speaks of death. And we know in Revelation chapter 20 what that is. That is eternal death. That is total depravity and separation from God for eternity. And there it is. John, once again, saying, you know what? A real key marker of your salvation or the lack of is how you have been vested with the Spirit of God to be able to love other people. What did Jesus have to say about that? What did Jesus have to say about that? And I quote, by this, you remember him telling his disciples, by this, guys, all men will know you that you are my disciples if you march in the road in a straight line, if we all wear blue robes, everybody will know you're my disciples. If you all wear purple sashes, mm -mm. Jesus says, here's how, guys, everybody will know that you're my disciples. If you love people 
in a special way around you. And I just wonder today, as you're thinking about your life, as I have been thinking about mine, how evident is that? That you really love people. Do you understand what the Word of God says? It's not my Word. The Word of God says, you do understand that if you're really a Christian, if you're really transformed through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his blood and washed and filled with the Holy Spirit, it is impossible, it's not improbable, it is impossible for you to hate a person. That's what the Bible says. Your hater will be broken. Now does that say, and I have those people in my life as well, there's certain people that I certainly don't enjoy as much and some irritate me to no end. But to hate them, that's not possible. It is not possible. I'll tell you, one of the people that I really miss is Ralph Greening. Can I hear an amen to that? I miss Mr. Ralph. They ran off up there in Arkansas on us. One thing I loved about Mr. Ralph that man loved fishing more than any human being I've ever known. He loved it so much, he'd get up at 4 a.m. to get out there and beat the heat. You'd go out there in that old shop, he'd have stringers and lures. I mean, he, he would have all trot lines, buckets. I mean, he loved it so much, he even loved cleaning fish. Man, you got to love it a lot to clean fish, Amen. Mr. Ralph, it smells like fish out here. Boy, don't you like that? Don't you like that? He loved it. And you know, when I was around him out there in that shop, you know what? He made me love it. And I just ask, do you love all this? Love more at midweek? Love your class? Love the greeting? Love the committee service? Love the meals? Love the people? Love security detail? Love the choir? Love the kids? Love the seniors? Love people? Do you love it? Do you love it? You know what? If you don't love it, man, and every part of it, then you know, I, I would just ask the question, are, are, I mean, are you really saved? Because if you know the Lord, then you'll love the things He loves. And man, this is all about him. I mean, what if the Millers in a moment say, hey, Pastor, uh, we missed Pastor Appreciation Month. It ended yesterday, but it's, it's November 1st. And, and Pastor, we, we want to invite you and Becky to, to, to lunch today, our treat. And then all of a sudden, that's David speaking, and Sarah speaks up and says, oh, whoa, 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 Pastor, we, we really just are inviting you. Well, I think they love my family, so I would assume, well, hey, finances are a little limited, maybe enough for just one meal. And then Sarah clarifies it by saying, we really don't, mm, just leave Becky at home. We, uh, we really don't like her. And I'm going to say, hey, great, that's more for me to eat. I'll just come by myself. No, I'm going to say, uh, Millers, I love you, but, man, y'all don't love my wife, then you don't love me. Man, that's my wife. Is she perfect most of the time? I love her. So when there's a cantankerous 87-year-old man over here on the aisle that's giving my ministry nuts, I mean, he's just driving me nuts. I don't hate him. That's why people ask me all the time, Pastor, how do you tolerate that? And I tell them, I don't. I couldn't. I'd give him one of these. 
but there's something different. I love him because the Lord loves him. I love him because he's a part of something the Lord loves and died for, the very bride, the New Testament church. That's why I love him. Well, pastor, that person over there is obnoxious. They talk all the time. And then you ought to hear, they, how do you put up with them? I don't. I love them with everything in me because the Lord loves them. And I just ask you today, can people in the Longview community and at work, do they know you're a follower because of the love that's in you? That will become evident. Now don't, now, don't get confused by kindness. Some people have a remarkable gift of even extraordinary kindness that all of us don't have. But all of us should have a level of love, respect for everyone in the church. That's why you know a church is in trouble when you have wars in, in, in a church conference. You know there's, there's trouble. Because we learn in an early era of Christian life, you can disagree without being disagreeable. You can show your individuality and your preferences and your desires, even though you stepped off of that throne. Really, what we should be seeking is the preferences of the one that's on the throne. But we can do all those things and not always agree on everything without being disagreeable. And there's a difference. And I'm telling you, some people, we could line them up here across the front today and say, whew, Marianne works. Woo! Off the chain, baby. That lady loves people, amen? And then we could put some others up there, maybe the pastor, and you say, well, he, he doesn't love me. Wow. That stings, doesn't it? And I just ask you, as I'm evaluating my life, and you and I are just being sure there's no surprise in the end. Do you have a life that's saturated with the love of God in it? And people will see that. It'll just naturally flow. It's an expression of who you are. You don't have to make it up. It just happens. The meals, the cards, the concern is genuine. Love, I love them. Yeah, but don't you dislike this about them? Hey, I love them. The good and the bad, I love them. That's why it's so difficult for me to think about transitioning churches. Hey, you love your church in the good days and the bad because you love it. You love it. And you stay with it. Number four, we got to hurry. Number four, fourth marker. Let's jot it down. And that is very simple. You're filled with God's spirit. If you're really saved today, you'll be filled with God's spirit. Now, this is a little tricky. Look over in the fourth chapter. We have another one of those clear statements here. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Look over in John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. We've got to hurry. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 13. Here's what John says. This is how we know that we live in him. This is how we know if we're saved. This is how we know if we're a Christ follower. This is, this is how, we know if, how we know if we're an imitator of the king himself. And he is in us. He has given us his spirit. Again, John, from great biblical mandate, lays out for us the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and really what salvation is all about. We have the total picture of the Trinity. That word's not even mentioned in Scripture, but we understand it. The three-prong approach, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We have all of those. We are, we are in him, God, one God. 
manifest in a triune way, Father, Son, Spirit. But it's that element of our God, the Spirit, that dwells in us. And that's what the Bible says. If, if you look over there, you might just want to glance, 1 John 5, 6, and look at the end of 1 John 5, 6. I mean, I wish I had more time to talk about that. The last few words say, and it is the Spirit who testifies. It's the Spirit that conveys out of your life and testifies who the Lord is through you. That's so very important. We're indwelt. Well, I know what's coming next. It's a simple question, but one you ought to be asking. Pastor agreed. This Holy Spirit, I mean, the Word of God says we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We're sealed. He's in us. We got it. The Lord will never, I mean, he'll never leave us. He'll never abandon us. He'll never forsake us. Amen. I mean, so the Holy Spirit's there. He's there to stay. But how do we really know? There's the question. I mean, with a be like Mr. Hampton's car seat, all of a sudden in our back, we'll start feeling something moving around back there. I mean, are we missing something because we don't run up and down the aisles and babble all kinds of wild Are we missing something? Some in Long Beach would say, yeah, you Baptists really are missing something. How would we know? Well, see if this sounds familiar. Number one, we know three ways to know because we're sensitive to sin. (laughs) That sound familiar? We are, jot it down, we know the Holy Spirit lives and indwells in us if we're sensitive to sin. You know, it's amazing to me how many of you, and maybe it's just election time, come up to me all the time and say, Pastor, what'd you think about Black Lives Matter? What'd you think about the riots? What'd you think about this? What'd you think about that? And you know, I've started answering all those questions the same. Does it surprise you? So if you ask me that after church, I'm going to say, does that surprise you? Does it surprise you that people are rioting and looting? Doesn't surprise me. Because if you're not sensitive to sin, you have no Holy Spirit guiding you in your life, then you know what? That doesn't surprise me. I would probably be doing that. Knocking out windows, taking things for me. It would be all about me. It would be about my. It would be about myself. I mean, does it surprise you that our, pol- our politics are in such a mess? That surprises you? That doesn't surprise me. Because people that don't know the Lord and don't have the leadership of the Holy Spirit in their life, they're going to act like that. I mean, does it surprise you that United Nations is in such a mess? That political world's in such a mess? I mean, you know what? The Word of God says, for the real believer, you are led and indwelt by His Spirit. That's the difference. Something in you will prompt you, don't say that. Don't do that. Many of us have come to think of that as some kind of factual humanitarian effort on our part to say, you know what, if we say that, we'll regret it. I I would suggest there's something deeper in you that's guiding that. You know what, what great, great concept there in all of our lives to understand there's a, a voice inside of us that gives us direction. Let me tell you who that is. It's the Holy Spirit of God. How do we know that the Holy Spirit is in us? Sensitive to sin. Have you already written the second one down? We're also submissive to God's commandments. We're also submissive to God's commandment. We know if we have that submissiveness to his commands, it's not like that guy, hey, do you, you know who I'm talking about? Mr. Blue Eyes, who for over years says, I did it my way. What was his name? Sinatra. That's kind of become the mantle of American culture. We did it our ways. Our way on this, our way on that. You know, accomplishing things outside the lands of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do it the way I want. I, me, myself, I'll go my own way. And I remind you, you'll know if the Holy Spirit is there dwelling you because at that moment, you voluntarily left the throne and Christ has assumed the throne. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And let me tell you something. You won't have to worry about knowing that. That will be evident if he's there in your life. There's no messing around about that. 
you know if he indwells you. Number three, if you're saturated in God's love. If you're saturated in God's love, then you know the Holy Spirit resides there in you. I know it's hard to love. It's hard to love some people. It's hard to love the unlovable. We just talked about that outside of Christ. And again, you don't love them. God does through you. But you answer me this. We've seen this at Oakland Heights Baptist Church and other churches for many years and in other Christian ministries, ministries for many How do you take a man that much of his life, every other word's that four-letter letter word that just rattles your whole chain. He beats his wife. He terrible father. He drinks all the time, carouses, and all of a sudden, God transforms his life, and it's like, and he's going a whole different direction. Now, every time the church doors are open, his old pickup truck's out there. Lo and behold, he used to drop cigarette butts in the bushes in front at Christmas and Easter, and now he's out there picking cigarette butts up. And he's holding hands with his wife. And what in the world? He's got his daughter and son down there at the pond fishing with him. He's all of a sudden become the dad that he needs to be and the husband that he needs to be. And he's serving the church as he needs to serve it. You explain that to me. And there's only one way to explain it. His lover is different. He has fallen in the love with the Lord and he started to love all that the Lord loves. Number four, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Number five, and we end. We believe the Scriptures. If you're really a believer, then you have such incredible belief in the Word of God. Would you turn with me to that fifth chapter of the first little Johns, first John chapter 5 and verse 13. I, I, I love this. In fact, I've highlighted these, these little phrases out of 1 John 5, 13 in my Bible. They just speak so clearly when I just highlight these little phrases. Listen to the whole verse, though, 1 John 5, 13. I write these things, and I highlighted the word right. John's recording the inspired word of God. There's the word. The word. I write the word. The word is given to you. There it is. I write these things to you, and then I highlighted who believe. You see that little, the, 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 those little two words? Who believe in the name of the Son of God that you, and here I highlighted this, that you may know that you have eternal life. Wow. Do you really believe the word of God? I mean, it's the word that says, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, the wages of sin is a death. Do you believe that? I mean, it's the word that tells us he that has the son has life. He that does not believe or he doesn't have the son does not have eternal life. I mean, it's the word of God that tells us, Ephesians 2, we're saved by grace. We're not saved by works. It's through our faith in God's grace that we come to him. That's the only way. There's, there's no way we're ever going to work our way to heaven. Do you believe that? Do you believe the scriptures? Do you believe that God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead? And you ought to know that in your heart today. Either you believe it, or you're just up here for him, or for her, or you're just here because it's a good place to be, like most uh, many people in East Texas on Sunday morning. But if you really believe it, that's a key marker how you love and ingest the Word of God, believing that Word of God, the Word will be a priority in your life. Not like you read poetry, but like you read the one that you love, His manual for life. It'll be a difference maker. Tonight, before I pray, and uh, try to get some sleep. I, I, I sleep terrible on Sunday nights. I don't know why. Monday nights, crash and burn. Sunday nights, terrible. 
I'm just going to answer the call in my life to God and say, now God, for 41 minutes and 8 seconds, on this the Lord's day that you've given me, I unfolded exactly what I think you told me to say. Lord, I did it with all the pathos in me. I hope people know and could see how much I love the Lord Jesus, and I hope that came across to them. I hope this message of knowing if we are saved, how do we have that security? And Father, if there be one, if there be one that's here and they're 83 years old and they're saying, oh, that would be so embarrassing, so embarrassing for me to admit the whole church would know. I know Satan is whispering and doing all that he can. If there be a student that can hear me, even watching by screen today that says, you know, I was swept up four years ago and baptized with all my friends. But, you know, looking at this scripturally now, Pastor, you know what? I don't think I'm there. That love element, man, I hate a lot of people in my life. And Pastor, I, I, I really don't love what the Lord loves. I'm much more concerned about me and my. And I look at that checklist, Pastor, and I'm telling you, I'm concerned. It'll take every bit of courage that you can muster and then some to come forward and say, but Pastor, I want to get this settled. I thought I was. But the clear criteria now leaves no room for doubt, no wiggle room. It's crystal clear. The Lord hasn't transformed me as he has so many that I'm witness to. And I want that eternal life. Because in the end, I wish you could go with me just for a few of these moments and sit there by those caskets. Go over here at Raider and come through that back secret trap door. Back there where the instruments are hidden. And walk out time and time again. All the faces are different, but the story's the same. Pastor, do you really think Mamma was saved? Don't know. Pastor, you really think my husband was saved? Don't know. We'll know in time. But wouldn't it be something? Is it possible for someone to have to pull over on the treadway of life there on the shoulder because of surprise? Never saw it coming. In the end, it's important. Because it'll only be you and the Lord. And for you that are hoisting the flag that, hey, this is a private matter. Oh, yeah. It's going to be private, all right. There'll be only one that'll stand accountable. And that, my friends, is you. And that, my friends, will be me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these moments that we've had in your word today. And I know the protocols of invitations and being inside a circle, but there's no protocol today against someone taking a pen and just scratching a little note quietly and subtly on the bottom of a bulletin, on a gum wrapper, on some scrap sheet of paper in a purse, on some paper that's maybe been stuck in near a hymnal and just write a little note, Pastor Mike, when you have time, would you just reach out to me? I'm concerned about my salvation. Pastor Mike, I'm concerned. Just a little note, just a little phone number, just some way that I can just reach out. Then quietly in the hours ahead, we'll have that wonderful privilege of just sitting down and talking more about this the most important decision of any life. 
Lord, do not let any of our church family get to the very end and be surprised. I pray for certainty. I pray for a crystal clear scriptural checklist, not Baptist, not any other denomination, just what your word says. For Father, in the end, only that and that alone will matter. Our personal belief and trust in the Lord Jesus by faith. Stepping away from that throne and saying, Lord Jesus, I love you enough to put you on the throne of my life. I am a sinner. I can't manage all these choices. I'll always end up making them selfishly, carnally. But because of who you are living in me and indwelling me, my love meter will go off the chart. My sensitivity to sin will be abundant in my life. I'll start to be able to recognize because of your virtue and who you are, O Spirit of God, and the very obedience factor in my life, being submissive to the call of your word, it'll be there in my life. So, Father, would you just take the preaching and proclamation of your word today and allow that Holy Spirit to just penetrate into pockets where I have no idea that it's going to invade. Do your work, and I will continue. Our leadership team will, be, will continue to be the very servants that you've asked us to be. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.